Well, good morning, Salem First. How are you? Hope you had a wonderful New Year's celebration. And if you, how many of you stayed up till midnight on New There you go. Yeah. And how many of you said, I don't even stop. So, so, and you went to bed early, right? There you go. How many of you wanted to? No, we won't talk about that. It was, uh, hope you had a great celebration. What a wonderful time with our family. And interesting little uh, man on the street kind of video, isn't it? You know, why don't people go to church? Uh, I have to tell you that I think we haven't really done a very good job of representing Jesus Christ to the world. Now, that's not just this particular group of people. I think the church in general hasn't done the best job it could in representing who Jesus really is and what the Christian life is really all about. There's so many misconceptions that are out there, and you, you heard many of them on that particular clip, and they're right, the media portrays us in a certain light, and but before we get really down on the media and everything else, we have to kind of own the fact that maybe we haven't been the representatives for Jesus Christ that we should have been. That much of what they talk about has a ring of truth to about to it that is a little painful for us. Um, and so I watch something like that and go, okay, I, I, I guess I'm not going to get angry about it. Um, what am I going to do about it? What am I going to do? Let's talk about a list of, of words that should represent the Christian life. Now, this is what people should be thinking about us. Ready? You're into your sermon notes now. If you want to take those notes, if not, that's fine as well. But let's take a look at this. A list of words that describe the Christian life. I'm going to give you a list and kind of explain those lists. First of all is this word right here. The word holy. Now, unfortunately, this word has lost its original meaning. Now, it, it tends to mean something like um, superior and, and, and condescending and judgmental and that kind of thing. But the fact is, it should be a word that describes the Christian life and that describes the church because God told us it was supposed to do that. Take a look at this passage right here. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, this is Peter speaking, but Peter is quoting at least three places in the Old Testament. The book of Leviticus in chapter 11, verse 44, in chapter 9, verse 22, and in chapter 20, verse, verse 7, all say the same thing. God says, look, I, I want you to be holy because I'm holy. But unfortunately, like I say, that word has, has kind of uh, lost its original meaning. Now it almost means something bad. So if you don't like this word, cross it off and do this. Okay, let's put in this word, see if this word works any better. The word good. We're supposed to be good people. The Christian life is a good life. We don't live like we used to live. We're different people. We don't use the same language we used to use. We don't spend the money the same way we used to do it. We don't see the world. We don't see people the same way. We don't treat people the same way. Just... Think of what a good person should be, because God is good all the time, isn't he? And he says, you know, because I am good, because I am that way, I need you to be that way as well. Now, holy is still the word, and hopefully in this particular setting we can use the word holy in most of us, maybe even in this room right now, if we said, hey, who's holy? You would go, oh, that's just terrible. Well, scripture says you're supposed to be. Maybe we need to talk a little bit more sometime about what that word really means. Basically, it means this. 
It's good. We're good people. We don't hurt other people. Our lives are different. Our values are different. They mirror the values of God. That would be a great word to describe the Christian life and those who walk within it. Okay, how about this word? Ready? Peaceful. That's the way it's supposed to be. You know, Jesus actually promised that he would bring us peace. In a couple of places. Take a look at these passages from John. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. And again, in another passage, I have told you these things so that in in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus says the Christian life should be a peaceful life. Now, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that we never have conflict, but there is a great conflict that we're born with. It's that conflict of who we are. We're in conflict with God as he's calling us to be something that we don't want to be. We're in conflict with ourselves as we don't even understand who we're supposed to be. And when we find our place in Jesus Christ, when we find that purpose, when we find the reason for which we were created, there should be a peace about that. Now, that doesn't mean that there won't be struggles and turmoil. He even said there's going to be trouble in the world. But he did say that we should be at peace with ourselves and with God. We should know who we are, where we're going. We have found our reason for living. And when you do that, you're supposed to go, okay, got it. Now I know why I'm here. That's peace. How about this word? Loving, that's a good word. That would be a great word to describe the Christian life and describe Christians and to describe the church. As a matter of fact, we'll be talking a little bit more about this. Jesus, of course, you know that he commanded just two things, really. He said a whole Bible kind of boils down to two commands. That's why, I've told you this before, please don't come to me with a petition that says, let's have the Ten Commandments somewhere posted either in our church or in the city hall or whatever, because I'll tell you no. Jesus told me there's only two. Those are the two I want. Now, you put those two commandments on the wall, you put those two commandments over by City Hall, and and then you got my attention. What are those two commandments? Love God with soul, mind, and strength, and everything God has been trying to say is wrapped up in those two commands. Now, if you want to get hung up on the Ten Commandments, be my guest. Okay. But you're missing it. Jesus said all, remember when he said, what are the two greatest? He didn't even list a single one of those Ten Commandments, did he? Not one. He said there's two. Later on in the New Testament, Paul is going to say, everything in the Bible hangs on these two commands. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbors yourself. Everything we're trying to do is learn how to do that. What a great word to describe the Christian life and describe the church. Loving God with all that we've got and loving one another. That'll be good. How about another word? Joyful. I like this. (sighs) Joyful. Jesus said this. Here we go. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Okay? The Christian life should be a joyful life. Unfortunately, sometimes you see people that are just so sad or or depressed or mean-spirited or whatever. I have no idea how to describe them, but joyful doesn't seem to fit. 
When in fact, Jesus said, look, I came to give you my joy and that your joy would be absolutely full and complete. The Christian life should be a joyful life. But because we don't live it that way, we present something out there in the world a little differently than, than we really want. And when next thing you know, we get those kinds of comments from people about the church and Christianity. Now, these are all great words that the Bible uses to describe the Christians and the Christian life. But for the next several weeks, we're going to look at another word. And let me tell you where that word came from it's in my own mind. Because sermon series, it's hard to describe how they get developed, okay? They start usually well, well in advance before I actually preach them, months and months ahead of time as we try to think of what the Lord would have to say. This one actually came from annual conference last year, which is... Not too many good things come out of annual conference. I've got to tell you, annual conference, come sometimes, sit there, and you go, oh, it's wonderful, it's nice. But you, never, you don't really walk away with anything going, yeah, because it's just report stuff like that. It has to happen. It's a business meeting. It's no big deal. I walked out of that one going, whoa, man, that was... And it came from our bishop, Matt Thomas. Matt and I have been friends for, my word, almost 30 years. 1984 is when I first met him. He was pastoring at a little church in Fruitland. I eventually took over that church. We've been friends for that long length of time. We've had our... our uh, conflicts. There was a time I was his superintendent, and now he's my bishop, and it's, it's a lot of fun. But anyway, Matt said something. I remember it distinctly. I don't even remember what else he was saying. Just this one line. He said, the Christian life is a generous life. I heard nothing else that he said. I don't even know what else he said. I don't know when he said it, but that line hit me. So hard. It's like my father said, listen to this. And from that time, which was last June, the middle of June, oh, what, six months ago, over six months ago, I've been thinking, Father, how do we describe this generous life? So for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at this, the generous life. Now, this is the, the passage we'll be looking at in just a few moments, but it's called the generous life. The Christian life is all those other things we talked about. It's holy, if you want to call it good. It's peaceful, it's loving, it's joyful. There's other things that you could, you could say about the Christian life. What we're going to talk about is the generous life. And yes, we will be talking about money. So as I was listening to that, you know, about the, all, all they want to talk about is money, I'll just tell you two weeks from today, just so that you know, we're going to be talking about generous with money. But there's so much more to that generous life. Now, God has always called his people to be generous, okay? This isn't anything new. God has called his people to be generous from the very first time that he was calling his people. The nation of Israel, he wanted them to be generous. There's a lot of discussion out there in the political world and everything else. And I've, I hear some silly statements from people. You know, the Bible really supports capitalism. And I have to tell you that... I don't know where they're getting that. It's not that capitalism is wrong. Uh, the, the best economic structure out there would be giving everything to God and letting him lead. That's called a theocracy. And if we're not going to do that, then capitalism is probably the best economic structure. But please don't tell me that God is a capitalist. Let me tell you what he did in the, in the Old Testament when he was first setting up the nation. And he just are now the rules, the laws of the nation because the nation of Israel didn't have its own kind of legislative body, you know, that would pass its own rules, it took the, the laws of God and said, here's the laws. And God required people to be generous. So much so that this is what he would do. He would say to them, I want you to lend to people, 
I want you to give freely, and every seven years, you forgive the debt. If they haven't paid it back to you, now, and we're not talking about lending it for seven years. We're talking about a calendar. Okay, they were every seven years on the calendar. So say like the year 2000, then the year 2007, then the year 2014, then the year 2021, then 2028. Every seven years, you forgave every debt that was owed to you, whether they paid it back or not. This is what he said. If there's a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns that the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your, your poor brother. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend whatever he needs. Now remember, every seven years, you forgive it. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling the debts is near. In other words, he's saying... What if somebody came to you and you wanted to be generous and you wanted to lend them a little money and it was the year number six? When do you have to forgive that debt? The next year. So you say to yourself, I'm not going to give them any money. This is year number six. I'll wait till year number eight. Then that gives them a lot longer to pay me back. And God said, no. Don't harbor this wicked the seventh year, the year for canceling debts, is near, so that you do not show ill towards your needy brother and give him nothing. Your brother needs something in year number six. You know that if you give it to him, you'll never see it again. Because the next year you have to forgive it. So you say you get nothing. See me again in a couple years. And God said, nope. Not only is that wrong, it's wicked. He may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. <laughs> God has always called his people to be generous, always. The Christian life is a generous life. It's a giving life. It's a joyful, holy, loving, peaceful, generous life. For the next several weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at, at, at all the ways that... that we should be generous. And, and what that means. What, it actually, what does it actually mean to live a generous life? Okay? Now, there's wisdom that has to be thrown in here. It's not that I give all my money to everybody that I see. We'll be talking about wisdom. Obviously, God calls us to that as well. But you know within your own heart whether you have a stingy, greedy heart or a generous, giving I can't tell you what you got. That's not my job. As the saying goes, that's above my, my pay grade. But you know. We want to talk about what it means to live the generous life. Now, for the rest of the time this morning here, we're just going to answer a simple question. Why be generous? Why, why even do it? Okay? We'll, get, we'll, we'll look at the next several weeks about what it looks like to be generous with all the things that we have, but, but why even do it? I'm going to give you, let's get this one right out of the way, ready? I'm going to give you the self-centered reason. Yes, there is a self-centered reason, and it's not a bad reason. It's a biblical reason, but it's still self-centered, okay? Because it all comes back to us, okay? Scripture talks about the fact that when we are generous, guess what happens? We receive a blessing when we're generous. 
Being generous actually helps us. This is what scripture says. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You understand what they mean by pressed down, shaken? Any of you do a little baking this last holiday season? You know, you, take, you can take a little bit of flour and it kind of loosely in the cup, and it, or you can pack that flour down. Just pack it down. And then put as much, and pack it down some more. And then put more until it actually runs over the side. God says when we're generous... When we give, what he gives back to us isn't just what we gave. It's packed down time and time and time again, running over the side. It is so much more than you could ever possibly imagine. It's not the only place that the Bible makes this kind of promise. Proverbs says this, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. There is that self-centered aspect of generosity. Generous people receive over and over and over and over. We've also heard this many times. In fact, we've used it as part of our scripture for, for our offering. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. There is that biblical principle that says, when you're generous, you receive a blessing. Now, we need a little word of caution here. Okay? Some have taken this whole idea and built their entire gospel on it. We call it the prosperity gospel. This prosperity gospel is the one that says, um, God wants you to be rich, and um, therefore what you need to do is you need to give pretty much to the church. If you just keep giving to the church, the more you give to the church, the more God will give to you. For instance, some have even said, do you want to make $100,000 a year? Then tithe on $100,000. I know you don't have $10,000, but you give it to the church, and God will give you the $100,000. Wrong, 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 wrong. We're not saying that. That's nonsense. The prosperity gospel, which is very popular today, by the way, is not correct. That's not the gospel. God does promise that when we give and we are generous, there is a blessing back. But he never promises dollar for dollar. He doesn't do that. We will receive many times over what we give. In this life or the next. I can't tell you where and I can't tell you how. The biblical principle is when we're generous, God is generous with us. But he doesn't say dollar for dollar. Don't see it that way. Just know this, that when we are generous, it always comes back on us. Eventually, we're paid back many times over. All right, that's the self-centered kind of, it's still there, I mean, it's a biblical principle, but it's not really the best reason to be generous. There are lots of other reasons to be generous. How about this? Because generosity has a ripple effect, and we call it pay it forward. You want a, a simple way to change the world? You want a simple way to change the people in the world? Be generous. Now, it's true that sometimes you're going to be generous with people, and they'll spit it back in your face, and there won't be any... Okay, that's going to happen. 
We know that's going to happen because God is generous with everybody in the world and many people just spit it right back in his face. But let's face it also, that there are times that when we're generous, when we give, when we touch with people with our time and our talent and our treasure, everything else that we have, when we're generous, they're changed. And then they begin to change the people around them. Jesus did it. You know what we understand by pay it forward? Pay it forward is... Uh, you don't really get anything back. It's you do a good deed for someone who guess, guess what they do? They do a good deed for someone else who then does what? A good deed for someone else. There's even TV commercials about this whole thing. It's kind of interesting. It's called Pay It Forward. I think there was even a movie about it. Not that I've ever seen the movie, but it's a great title. Pay It Forward. Jesus did it. He took this short little tax collector named Zacchaeus. We know he was short because the Bible tells us he was so short that he wanted to see Jesus. He had to call up, climb up in a tree just to see Jesus because he couldn't see over the people in front of him. And because he was a tax collector, he was a traitor and a thief. He was a traitor because he was collecting taxes for the Romans. And he was a thief because that's how he got paid. The Romans didn't set a rate of taxes. The tax collector did. And the tax collector collected what he could, gave the Romans a little bit, and kept the rest. They were hated. Traitors. Thieves. That's why uh, one of the biggest slams against Jesus was he eats with sinners and tax collectors. They had their own category for them. That's how bad they were. And Jesus sees him up in the tree, says, Zacchaeus, let's go to dinner. I'm going to your house tonight. And Jesus goes into the home of this sinful traitor and thief and is generous with his presence. He's generous with his kindness. He's generous with his forgiveness. He's generous with himself. And this is what happens. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything... I will pay back four times the amount. See, you thought Charles Dickens kind of came up with this whole idea with a, a Christmas carol where Scrooge suddenly at the end becomes all generous and everything. This is Jesus and Zacchaeus. Jesus paid it forward. He was kind and generous. And guess what happened to Zacchaeus? He was kind and generous, and we just have to believe that many of the people, not all, but many of the people whose debts were forgiven, many of the people who got paid back four times the amount became kind and generous. And I know that's worked in my own life. Let me tell you about the first sermon I ever preached. It was really bad, really bad. I think I was 19 at the time, and uh, they asked me to preach at this little Nazarene church in uh, San Dimas, California, Valley Center Church in Nazarene. And it was a Sunday night. I was going to preach my first sermon. And um, I showed up. I'd worked on the sermon. And um, I showed up, and, and I didn't have any, you know, fancy clothes. Um, my family was, was, at this time, really kind of poor. I was selling Fuller Brush door-to-door to, and gave my mom the, the money to uh, uh, buy groceries, things of that nature. And so... Um, I showed up with just kind of a, you know, the nicest button-down shirt. Well, you got to remember, this is the Nazarene church. In the Nazarene church, 
particularly in 1971 or two, whenever it was, I think it was 72, um, you wore a tie all the time, even Sunday nights, particularly if you're preaching, you wore a suit and a suit coat and a tie. I didn't have anything like that, so I, I showed up in just a button-down shirt, and I remember the pastor, C.S. Coles was his name, and the pastor, I'm getting ready to go, and he, just before the service, he pulls me aside, and he tries to get my hair, because it was really, I, would, I had an afro at the time, and you know, he's trying to make it, and he's buttoning up my shirt like this, and trying to make me look presentable, and so I went out there, and I preached the sermon, and it was so bad, I mean, it was just really, really, really bad, I have never heard a sermon quite as bad as the one I preached. And I've heard lots of bad sermons. It, I still take the cake for every sermon I've ever heard. So um, Then about two days later, I was at work when my pastor called and, and uh, said he wanted to take me out to lunch. And the pastor and the Sunday school teacher for the young adult department showed up. And they didn't tell me anything. They put me in the car, and I figured they were going to uh, murder me and <laughs> throw my body in the desert, you know, just for... Uh, the egregious way that I slaughtered the Word of God. And instead, what they did is they took me to downtown L.A. And even though I, I lived 20 miles from downtown L.A., I'd never really been down in the business section at all. We'd only went through there to see my grandparents who lived on the other side. And, and they bought me lunch at one of these downtown delis. Then they took me to a tailor. And <laughs> they bought me my first suit. I mean... We're not talking off the rack at Sears. We're talking to Taylor. Or, I, mean, I, I remember standing there in front of the mirrors and they're pinning everything up and they're pinning the, And they bought me my first suit and a shirt to go with it and a tie. Because back then, that's what you had to wear. But I couldn't afford that. That was my only suit for years. I went into the ministry a couple of years later full time and that was it. That's the only suit I had. Everything else that I tried to buy, I went down to Goodwill or something to pick up a jacket, but that suit meant so much. These two men who should have said, you got no business in the pulpit, Bailey. Just stay out of the pulpit, all right? We'll put you in the sound booth. We'll put you over here. You can be an usher. You can do all these other things. They're wonderful jobs. There's nothing wrong with them, but stay off the pulpit. And instead, their generosity touched me so deeply that it became a motivating factor for much of what I do in the rest of my life. I remember it so clearly, their generosity. I remember it often when God gives me an opportunity to be just as generous. We live a generous life because that's how you change the people around you. You pay it forward. But here's the main reason, by the way. It's not the final reason we're going to look at today, but it's the main reason. I want you to understand this. Why we live a generous life, why Christianity is a generous life. And it's simply this, because my Father is generous to me. We live a generous life because God is always generous to us. This is what Jesus told us. In fact, by the way, this is the passage that, that we're going to be using to, to be the, the passage for the whole series, all right? And I encourage you to memorize it. That would be a wonderful thing to do. Here it is from Matthew chapter 10, verses 6 through 8 from the message. Why don't you read it with me? Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. 
bring health to the sick, raise the dead, touch the untouchables, kick out the demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously. Let's read it one more time. Ready? Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick, raise the dead, touch the untouchables, kick out the demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously. We live a generous life because God has been generous with us. And it is stingy, hard-hearted, cold, self-centered. If we receive from God all these wonderful things, and then hold on to them. Now we're going to examine lots of scriptures, but not today. We're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures that deal with this throughout the rest of the series that we're in. I want you to understand something, because this is important. We are not a lake. Do you understand? We are not a lake. We are a stream. The thing about a lake is all the streams kind of pour into the lake, and the lake just gets all this wonderful fresh water right within it, and it's all about the lake, isn't it? We're not like that. We're a stream. The blessings of God don't come and fill and just kind of fill within us, and we keep them right there like a lake would do. We're like a stream. The blessings of God flow through us. They come to us. We enjoy them and we are blessed by them and we pass them on. That's the way God has set it up. We live a generous life because God has been generous with us. Just a couple more reasons we'll be done here this morning. How about this? Because generosity demonstrates my trust in God. Generosity demonstrates my trust in in God. You understand what that means? It means it's one way that I can, I can show that I do trust God. I don't have to hoard everything. I can be generous. I don't have to keep everything for the next week or the week. I, I can be generous. I know my Father is going to provide for me. This is what the Bible says. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You understand what this means? I can trust my Father to provide for my needs. Now, again, we, we're, we will apply wisdom to this. As we go throughout this series, we'll apply wisdom. I don't give away all the money I have in the bank account just because I'm going to give it away. I want wisdom to know how to do it, but I don't need to hoard it either. My Father will provide. And if you don't believe that, you're going to hoard more. It'll be harder to be generous. In World War II in England, um, during the Blitz, there were so many orphans because so many people were killed as night after night the bombs fell on London. And there weren't individual families to take these orphans in. They created orphanages and some of these orphans had lived through incredible deprivations, living on the street and starving until they were found and placed in these orphanages. And, and the orphanage had just enough food every day for the children. Usually it was a loaf of bread and just some soup or whatever, because that's all they had. But they had it every day. They noticed that the orphans, these children, 
wouldn't go to sleep at night. That they were restless and crying and tossing and turning, and you would say to yourself, well, yeah, of course, all the stuff that they've gone through, of course they'd be that way. And they realized eventually it wasn't the trauma of the bombs. It's that they had lived so long without anything. Even though they'd eaten that day, they were so worried about what happened the next day that these little children couldn't go to sleep. Do you know how they solved it? They gave each child their ration of bread to go to bed with that night. And as long as they held that bread right there and knew that tomorrow they had this to eat, they'd go to sleep. Because they didn't trust that the next day there would be food. Some of us are holding on to that bread We can't be generous. Generous with our forgiveness or our mercy or our grace or our kindness or our finances or our time. Because we don't really trust that God is going to give to us what we need tomorrow. So we hoard it. We keep it. When I'm generous, I'm trusting my Father. Father, I'm going to give away money and you know what? I'm going to give my time, I'm going to give whatever I'm going to give, what I'm going to be generous with, Father, I'm going to trust that you'll take care of me. I'm going to trust that I don't have to save all of this. I can be generous and you'll meet my needs. One final thing as we get ready to close today. One reason that we're going to be generous, that we live this generous life, is because it's one way to imitate Jesus. Now, see, there it is. As I'm going back to that video, um, people's idea of church and people's idea of Christianity and people's idea of the Christian life bears absolutely no resemblance to Jesus Christ. At least not to Jesus Christ, I know. You're thinking, you know, what happened? We're the church. We're the body. We should, be, we should be the exemplary, the example, the whatever you want to call it. We should be the shining example of Christian. They should look at the church and the Christian life and see Jesus Christ. And when you see Jesus Christ, you know what you see? You see a generous person. Why don't people see that in the church? Why do they see all these other things? Jesus said this. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. One of the reasons people have such a negative view of the church or Christianity, the Christian life, is because they don't see Jesus in the way we live. Okay? We need to change that. That's all. We just need to remember that they should be able to look at our church and look at our life and the way that we live and see the values of Jesus. And one of those values was generosity. We're going to see in the weeks to come, Jesus gave and gave and gave and gave. 
So, here's the commitment we're going to make. Ready? Over the next several weeks, we're going to learn to be generous with these things right here. Ready? We're going to talk about time, being generous with time. We are going to talk about money, being generous with money. We're going to talk about being generous with kindness, being generous with grace, and being generous with forgiveness. The generous life that we're talking about is generous with all of these things. And it's generous because God has been generous to us. And we will follow his example. And we will pass it on. We will pay it forward. Yes, there'll be blessings back right at us, but that's not why I'm going to do it. We're going to do it because this is the way we're supposed to be living. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Um, You have been generous. We're going to see that so much more in, in the time to come, in the weeks to come, how generous you are, how generous you have been, Father. And we're going to seek your forgiveness often because we're going to realize the times that we have been a little stingy in some of these areas, that maybe we haven't trusted you the way that we should. Father, we've been a little too self-centered. Now, we can't change every mind in the world, Father. You can't do that, and we certainly can't do that. We know that. But we do want to live a life that is a different life, a giving life in all these areas. Because, Father, that's how you are to us. And, Lord, we want to reflect your glory and reflect your values. We want people to be able to see the the way we live as church and the way we live as individuals and see not us, not our own values, but you. Father, there will still be people who won't show up to church and they won't be part of a church and they won't even come to you. Father, that's because they just are never going to receive you We understand that. You promised those people are there. We can't change every mind. But you didn't ask us to. Father, all you asked us to do is what we can do. And we can learn to be generous. Thank you, Father. Amen.